Okay, hi everyone, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're talking virtual accounting, PMS integration and cybersecurity. Um, thank you very much for joining me everyone on the panel. Um, just quickly before we start, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, with all questions that you're asking today throughout the webinar, please go down to the bottom of your screen with a QA and a and make sure you tick anonymous also. They'll all come through to me. We'll uh, ask, we'll answer as many questions as we can and anything we don't get to, we'll answer at the end. Um, and also everyone that's registered today, everyone that's watching, will get a um, recording of the event within the next one or two days. Uh, we'll also have the contact details of everyone on the panel as well if you have any further questions or want to reach out to them in any way, that would be great. Um, so first of all, I want to introduce everyone. Um, we have Marcus here from Surgical Partners, we've got David here from MLPC, and we've also got Paul as well uh, from Aspire IT, and of course I'm Amy from Practice Partners and I'll be hosting the event today. So before we do start answering any questions, um, and I can see there is one come through already, which is great, um, I just want you guys to tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, the business and, and what you do within the healthcare industry. So do you want to start us off, Marcus? Sure, Marcus Wilson, as uh, Amy said, from Surgical Partners. We integrate uh, practice management systems with accounting systems. And as part of that uh, solution, we solve some key problems that most medical practices face. They are uh, reconciling bank, uh, reducing the data entry of their, um, their revenue entries and their PMS into their accounting system, so take away that uh, manual step, and also automating the distribution of doctor's share of billings. Um, so automating the, uh, the actual split itself and also generation of invoices uh, and distribution of those to the contractor doctors and employee doctors working in the practice. Hi everyone, uh, my name is David Lee. Uh, I'm the one of the founding director of uh, ML Private Clients, also known as MLPC. So we are accounting firm specializing in medical sector and we are also a firm that really big on utilizing the cloud-based uh, technologies such as Xero and recipients and uh, surgical partners as well. And, uh, and by using that technology, we can actually uh, largely increase the uh, efficiency and accuracy of the bookkeeping and tax compliance process which allow us more time to focus on the uh, tax planning and advisory services to our clients without uh, additional costs. So uh, it's my pleasure to be here today and uh, um, I'm looking forward to uh, any questions from you guys and hopefully by the end of this webinar uh, you will have an idea of uh, what's in the latest in accounting and IT in the industry and why it's so relevant to your business. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, my name is Paul Watson from a company called Aspire IT. Uh, we are a um, managed security solutions uh, company. So basically looking after cyber security concerns of uh, medical practices um, and other industries as well. Um, I suppose taking a step back, we have really uh, over the years taken a, a strong interest in the security uh, landscape um, and what, you know, practices and, uh, and businesses have sort of been doing to protect themselves um, the, the best that they can. They've gone to the traditional days of having a, a router and an antivirus there to provide that protection. Um, businesses and, uh, and practices these days really need to have a multi-layered um, approach to make sure that they are protecting themselves, their users and the data, plus all the information of um, parent re uh, patient records and things like that. So making sure that we can provide the best services to make sure that you are secure and, and the information that you have within your fortress is, is basically locked down and tight. 
Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Um, so, first and uh, first of all, um, first question that's coming through is about the practice management system and accounting software and the link there. And they're asking, how does it benefit their business in in order to have them integrated? So. Yeah, sure. I can kick that off. Um, first of all, you know, without any kind of uh, integration between the PMS and the accounting system, you invest a lot of time extracting reports, and those reports may be Excel spreadsheets, and then um, those spreadsheets need to be cut up. They need to be uh, split up between the various doctors working at the practice, um, and then some kind of calculation that's run to split that uh, uh, doctor share of billings versus the practice. Uh, invoices drawn up. Another major issue is if um, the practice management system, the accounting system aren't integrated then there is no real check and balance around ensuring that what's received in the practice management system is actually come through in the bank account. So there's no real uh, digital check around uh, bank reconciliation and without that kind of check um, there have been multiple cases in the industry where practices have been exposed to fraud. Um, I think if you're a medical practice you would have heard stories out there um, you know in your modality or even the industry more broadly of cases of fraud unfortunately it's prevalent it's actually the number one business risk facing medical practices as insured by medical practice management uh, insurance so um, that's a huge issue so making sure the digital checks and balances are there so that's a key uh, benefit of having um, your practice management system and accounting system integrated uh, the other piece is not only reducing that data entry and reducing all of that uh, focus on history from practice management system reports for the practice, there's also the benefit of integrating the doctor's share of billings into their individual ledger. So not only taking the friction out of the practice's financial management, but then taking the friction out of the, the, uh, the doctors, the contracted doctors, personal financial management affairs. And in the age where, you know, um, doctors are very difficult to recruit and retain, mm. uh, you know, we are of the view at least that those practices that make it easier for their doctors and their personal financial management affairs will be the ones that recruit and retain largely over those that don't. Yeah, fantastic. And um, David, in your experience yep. with the, the link with the practice management mm. system and the accounting software, um, I mean, I, I know with the virtual practice management and overseeing that with myself and the, the clients that we deal with, we look we look at it in the aspect, well, we can do everything we need to do and work on their business while they work in their business. And, and yep. obviously yep. deleting some of their, creating mm -hmm. those efficiencies, mm -hmm. but also deleting that human error. Exactly. Um, there's, a, there's a question here in terms of risk um, and also tax minimization and, and does it benefit to have it virtually, an accounting system linked in, but also having someone looking at it virtually? Yeah, definitely. Now, what, what we're talking about here is a sort of virtual accounting service model compared to the traditional accounting service model. So the ma major difference between these two kind of models is what virtual, uh, virtual accounting service, basically it's an accounting service, but it's provided while using all these cloud-based uh, software such as Xero, where you can actually get your financial data up to date on a timely basis. Mm. So generally what happens is, if under a traditional accounting model, uh, a client, you will send through your, uh, it's either end of quarter or end of financial year data to your accountant. And it's only at that point in time your accountant get to know, okay, this is how your business perform, perform in the past three months or 12 months. And 
actually by that time everything's done that's really from an accounting point of view there's not much we can do apart from just prepare your tax return based all based on the historical data that you, you've given us while if under virtual accounting sort of, sort of model where we can we use all this different uh, cloud-based technology like zero where they actually get uh, live ban fee so on a daily basis zero software get your uh, daily ban transactions mm -hmm. and then from that point on accountant actually can do your daily reconciliation that's where we can get to know your financial data up to date so at this point in time how's your business perform and that actually can lead to more proactive uh, tax planning or sort yeah. of management advice as well for instance like before the financial year ends um, let's say in the middle of in, in the middle of June and we actually look at your file and we do a little bit projection for the next two weeks what's going to happen and then we can actually quite correctly give you a profit projection yeah. and then based on that this is how much your tax and this is what we can do before the financial year end to minimize your tax so that's actually a huge difference yeah fantastic a huge benefit um, there's a question here about the what procedures should be put in place to protect users' devices and, and data within the medical practice. And I think this is probably um, aimed at yourself, Paul, and, yeah. and how you would deal with that because it, I guess, oversees both of what Marcus and David have just talked about. Yeah, no, look, definitely. Um, th there's a number of procedures that um, can be put in place to sort of protect you know, the, the users and the data and the devices. And, and it comes down to, you know, the general hygiene, I suppose, of the, the, the data and the information and the systems that we're sort of working on. Um, so keeping your devices that you're sort of working on patched and updated with the latest patches to stop any vulnerabilities um, is always best practice. Yeah. Uh, making sure that everything's sort of up to date. Um, the other things to sort of look at is, is making sure you are you know, if you are using on-prem uh, servers, that you have got a backup of those servers, and they are being backed up locally and into the cloud. Um, the main sort of reason for that is there ever was a breach or a concern or, or something around, you know, call it a ransomware attack or something that sort of happened. If you have got a latest backup, you can always. It doesn't matter what happened with the ransomware, just revert back to the last backup, which would have happened an hour ago, and you don't need to pay any ransom, you don't need to worry about any breach, you don't need to worry about what's going on. So that's one other thing that you can sort of do. If you're a cloud-based organisation, especially using Office 365 and, and some of the other systems that are available there, making sure that you're backing up your emails and backing up your uh, OneDrive SharePoint sort of files where you might have your document libraries is also very important. Um, even though it is in the cloud and it is doing either a, a backup from one data centre to another data centre and have some replication through there, if a file has been deleted and that file has not been sort of seen for 30 days, that file's gone. Um, so having a, a, another system which is actually backing up your emails and your data in there is um, probably the fail safe that you sort of need to make sure that you can, if needed, get your data, your emails and your information back. Um, they're probably some of the, the main sort of things. A couple of other ones are you know, two-factor authentication, um, especially if you're starting to use cloud-based systems. Um, having that extra level of protection um, when you are logging into a system to you know, receive a text message or you've got an app which you need to put a pin code in to gain you that extra um, you know, protection into the system is also something that you really should be doing um, as some basic 
procedures to protect yourself. Yeah, fantastic. Um, startup or um, ongoing mature business, what type of virtual systems do I need? Um, I'm assuming this is probably, is it for everyone? Um, is it too small, too big? You know, what, I'm, I'm assuming this is what the question is, is about and please ask more clarification if you can. Um, I'm assuming if one, two practitioner practices and 12 to 15, you know, what does it change on what virtual accounting systems that I need, I'm assuming? Yeah, well, I mean, from our perspective, we're working with, um, you know, single part-time GPs mm -hmm. all the way up to major listed corporates. So I think there's uh, benefit right up and down the line. Um, obviously, I think that, uh, you know, the advent of cloud technologies um, have brought that sort of um, scale ERP solutions that the corporates use has brought that kind of corporate level efficiency down to the hands of the small business owner. So um, I think the real revolution that's going on in terms of efficiency and uh, you know uh, more dynamic um, financial management uh, that David referred to is absolutely dawning on this uh, small business market. So medical practices, even down to that single GP practice, you know, three, four, um, you know, specialists working at a site, they can absolutely benefit from this um, this revolution in, in cloud business applications. And, uh, you know, um, it's not only in, uh, you know, uh, what Surgical Partners does around revenue and doctor distributions, but um, Receipt Bank is one that yeah. David mentioned. Um, you know, these are, you know, like 30 bucks a month or 40 yeah. bucks yeah. a month, sometimes even absorbed by the accountant or bookkeeper, really mm -hmm. cheap stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and things like rostering and time shooting solutions is a yeah. classic yeah. and yeah. Uh, simple business application, which, you know, gets rid of the uh, the rosters and the, the paper timesheets. I mean, these can be as little as, you know, $50 a month, $100 a month, real no-brainers to, you know, get the most out of uh, modern technology for small practices even. Yeah. And from my perspective, uh, typically, we've got from our client base, we've got a single GP practice up to uh, 20, actually 20, 25, 30 GPs practice. And basically, my suggestion to either your start startup or a, a mature businesses is zero and uh, receipt banks and plus surgical partner. They are the key ones which we will definitely recommend because by using these three systems, we can actually automate your bookkeeping process up to 80, 85%. That actually flow into your uh, in, into our end of year uh, compliance process, which means traditionally, if you give your end of year work to a traditional accounting firm, it might take them, I don't know, 10, 10 hours to complete. But by using all this uh, automated uh, software, uh, which automate your sort of uh, bookkeeping process, we can actually reduce your compliance time, uh, compliance compliance job time to two hours. And what we do for the additional eight hours, we will actually sit down and analyze your data and give you some sort of more proactive tax and planning sort of advice. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously on the uh, on the system, systems seem to be a, a sort of a major 
you know, sticking point for, for a lot of the, the practices that we're sort of dealing with. It's, you know, do we go a physical server and have a physical server sitting on-prem that we install our software on and people are logging into? Or do we put it into a cloud? And is it going to be safe if we put it into a cloud? And do we do we put it into a, a cloud such as Azure or do we do a uh, like a hybrid type of solution or do we put it into a virtual data center um, where we can sort of spin up a, an actual dedicated server for that practice? Um, there's a lot of, you know, I suppose, pros and cons depending on the size of the business. If you're going to grow the business, are you going to put on other practices? They're all sort of things to sort of consider um, you know, in which direction you sort of go. Um, what we're sort of finding is you know, with the cloud sort of becoming a lot more secure and people more comfortable in dealing with the cloud with all the other applications being cloud-based now, it sort of just makes sense for that server to be a virtual server in the cloud somewhere. Um, it seems to be the way you know, most people are sort of starting to move and that's a bit of a trend that we're sort of seeing. I also think there's not much difference as to whether you're a startup or whether you're an established business now thinking about going to the cloud. If you're using Office 365, it's $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever it is. If you use zero, it's $6 per month. If you use Receipt Bank or any of those rostering and time shooting tools or even us, it's a monthly rate. So it doesn't really matter whether you're starting out or you're an established business, you'll always move on to that price point. It's not like you have to, you know, endure a, a significant uh, capital cost if you're already up and running. It's 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 the same in both cases. And even more, just one more point where com if you compare cloud-based software to a desktop software where we actually as accountant, to be honest, we love zero and cloud-based uh, software because it simply reduces a lot of time for us to actually find out which version, if you're using compared to if you are using a uh, desktop-based cloud uh, software, where we actually spend time to find out, okay, what's in the right version? I actually need to install all these different version of uh, accounting software in, in at our end to open up your particular version. So while if it's a cloud, we all, we, all we got is the login uh, details and we always log into the same file, which you see at the same time as well, so. Okay. Um because it, there is the question of I, they only have a server, so what does that mean for them? Can they still use you? You're talking virtually the whole time. So um, a lot of questions I get with virtual practice management is I don't think I can have a virtual practice manager because I have a server on site. How do you get into my system and how does it work? Yeah, right. Well, um, you know, as long as you have an internet connection uh, and a fairly low bandwidth one for a lot of the applications, we were just talking about the accounting related or business technology applications that we're not talking about sharing high definition images here. We're talking fairly low data loads. So it's not like you need uh, a gigabit connection uh, or anything ridiculous like that. Um, even fairly weak uh, ADSL connections are fine. Uh, so I don't think that's so much of an issue in terms of the integration between um, desktop PMS data and, uh, for example, our solution to integrate into accounting systems, we have an agent that sits on that desktop server and extracts from the database with the appropriate permissions and sends out to us, again, a very sort of lightweight stream of data. So that's absolutely no problem. We are not uh, integrating anything back in. It's read-only. It's only out. So. Uh, you know, desktop arrangements in terms of leveraging integrated accounting are no problem at all. Okay, and I'm assuming you've found the same. It just not yeah, look, with um, with having a server base, you know, the, 
talking on a security side of things, um, having a, a dedicated server there, it, it still needs to be looked after, it still needs to be managed, it still needs to have um, you know, the preventative maintenance on a, on a machine to make sure that it's you know, functioning and it's got everything that it sort of needs um, to continue to work. Integrating through, we're, we're the same. We have an agent that sits on a machine that we can manage and maintain and look after that device to make sure that the uptime is there, that it is getting the patches that it needs, that it's you know, looked after as a machine. Um, and that, that's the same sort of, you know, with depending on, on the desktops and other devices that are sort of being managed, it really comes down that there's two different solutions, I suppose, when we're talking on a, an IT side of things. We can have a, a local server and the desktops connecting up to that machine with third-party applications that are cloud-based. It works, there's no issues with it. Um, however, if you are going cloud-based, we can have the server sitting in the cloud and it's just going to work the same way. Um, there's no real sort of difference, it's just the location of where that server is physically sitting. So for practices that have a dedicated server and want to keep a dedicated server, you know, by all means, you can sort of keep it there. That it's not going to sort of stop you or limit you from the potential from the other systems that are available. Um, and just touching on the server, um, we did get in, a, in previous webinars questions about the server and the cloud and the difference and why should I go with one and not the other. Um, I just, I mean, it'd be good to throw it across to you guys and, and have a chat about that. Cloud versus server, and I get it with startups, I get it with a virtual practice management piece. I mean, either way, we can do virtual practice management on, on either system. But what do you feel the benefits are of, of both, and where, where do you think it's going? Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll start on it. Mm -hmm. um, for, for what we're sort of seeing, I suppose the, the cloud is definitely the, the way to sort of be going. Um, everything's becoming subscription-based. Um, with licensing, so you don't have that. If you're going and putting a dedicated server, especially if you're a startup, for example, putting a dedicated server and the costs involved in, in buying the hardware and the capital expenditure that you need, uh, putting it into a virtual environment, you don't have that cost. Um, it's a subscription-based, um, which will increase and decrease depending on how many doctors you have or you know, people within the organisation that you know, need the access. Um, it also brings a lot of flexibility um, so if you, you know, decide to bring on a, another practice or multiple different practices, it enables you to scale quite easily um, without, again, having to capital expenditure more, um, uh, more hardware. Um, you can share the databases between the, the sites. You can share the practice management software. Uh, so it gives you a lot more flexibility in the growth of the organisation. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, from my, I can only talk about because I'm not really an IT professional, but I can really talking about actually my own experience mm -hmm. yep. in terms of uh, my own accounting firm where we actually at that point in time, uh, that's when actually Zero first entered into Australia, that's how, literally how we actually found our uh, accounting firm because without Zero, which is basically a cloud-based uh, uh, accounting software solution. They also provide in the backend uh, uh, management so software for accounting firms. So without that, we actually there's a quite a large initial investment we need to put in to be able to start our own business, which is a server and a cold room as well. So just from that experience, I definitely I think that the cloud will be the way to go, and yet definitely facilitate a lot of startups without cloud. Some it could be it could definitely delay their sort of 
process of starting their business. Yeah, we're, as a business, Surgical Partners is 100% cloud. We don't run a single application locally. Um, all our uh, staff are BYOD, bring their own device. Um, so we're 100% cloud as a firm. I think the other thing to consider from a medical practice standpoint is we're seeing the advent of cloud practice management systems come to market mm-hmm. too. So true cloud in the sense that uh, you access them via web browser, multi-tenanted um, applications. Uh, you've no doubt heard of a few clinic to cloud, um, for example, as made some early waves in specialists and it's now moving into GPs as well, recently launched to the RACGP. Speaking of RACGP, we were talking earlier about uh, Hello Health, which has come out from the US. It looks like they'll be a little while before they get to market, but again, uh, fully cloud-based solution. Obviously, Helix has been around for some time from medical director. Uh, so, you know, they've, you know, in the market now and, and starting to get some good growth. So, you know, and then uh, best practice, which is, you know, well used in the GP space in particular, uh, working on their titanium product as well. Um, so that might be another 12, 18 months away, but clearly that's coming. So, you know, all the majors plus a lot of uh, you know, new ones to market will, you know, become more and more the default mechanism of operating a PMS. So. I think that really, for a lot of uh, medical practices, will be the sort of last bastion that keeps people in a uh, desktop or um, installed server environment. But those days are coming to an end. Yeah, okay. And I think with the virtual practice management um, situation also, I mean, you do have um, the cloud and you also have the, the servers and there's a lot of things coming on the PMS systems now. You can get you pick them up now and take them places. So what I generally say is what service offering are you offering in your practice and what growth potential do you want in your practice and, and work it off that. You know, you start all businesses with an exit strategy in mind. You also start it with a growth strategy in mind. So having a look at what you want to be offering, what IT integration you want to have in your practice first and foremost and then address that then um, so that you can quite easily tag on and get surgical partners involved and your virtual accounting involved if there is new systems coming in place you're already set up for it. Um, there has been a question here with the cloud being able to take my laptop anywhere and use it what's the security like on this? So I guess that does again get asked a bit because with all the, the telehealth and going into care homes and so forth, um, a lot of people would say, well, do I really want my GPs to be taking my practice management system with them wherever they go? Make some comment on that. Cool. Um, yeah, look, I was, yeah, with any device, making sure that you've got the right procedures in place to protect um, the access to that device. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, having two-factor authentication. So if they are taking that, you know, tablet or device out to a site and they need to access it, um, it's not going to be open for anyone just to be able to jump on and, and grab that detail of that information. Um, you need to make sure that you've got you know, a security policy or something in place uh, and then you, you have the right you know, credentials and making sure that you're keeping those credentials safe. Um, so you're having a good password management policy in place using two-factor authentication. Um, you can then connect from you know, from your phone, from your tablet, from your laptop. Doesn't really matter as long as you've got an internet access, as, as you sort of mentioned before. You can connect from any device at anywhere with any system, um, and that's I suppose the beauty of what it brings. Um, but making sure that you are being secure in the way that you actually are doing that, um, and mindful of you know, making sure that you're, you're keeping those credentials safe. You're not writing down the password, sticking it on the device and going out so that you know, anyone can pick that up and take it. 
it does happen, so making sure that you do have a password management portal or something in place that you can make sure it is secure. That's probably my biggest thing around it, is, is making sure that you, know, you are mindful of what's happening. And Xero has two-factor authentication by default. Yep. Like yes. it's compulsory yep. now. Um, you know, I guess if you did have um, medical information on the laptop um, that was lying around in loose files or whatever, then that, clearly that's uh, a risk which you can protect from a hardware standpoint. But uh, if you are running cloud applications like Xero, for example, is two-factor authentication by default. I'm not so familiar with you know, the range of protections that some of those cloud-based practice management systems that I mentioned before have. But I imagine a lot of them, if they're not on two-factor authentication, for example, they uh, will be very soon. So, you know, if someone was to take your laptop, they still have to log into that cloud-based PMS through the web or whatever. And so um, that is a defense there. So, um, look, I think uh, if anything, the advent of remote access to uh, business applications will improve that situation, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, there's a question on bank uh, reconciliation and um, human error from the front desk. Um, training of staff and keeping good financial control. Um, how do I combat this? I think yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is probably directed at, uh, at you, Marcus. Yeah, oh, I'll be interested in David's views too. But uh, look, fundamentally, it's about a feedback loop and it's about holding up a mirror to those practices. Um, it's one thing to have good end of day receiving processes and we all know that those are followed sometimes, not all the time. Um, but I think providing a feedback loop which immediately tells the practice manager or bookkeeper or internal administrator or external account, accountant that the numbers don't match. The next day, what's received in the PMS does not match the bank feed in the accounting ledger. That provides an immediate feedback source to say what happened on the reception desk yesterday. And if things are gone on top of quickly, people remember the mistakes they made because it was only yesterday, that's how you get entrenched improvement in the practice. If you leave it for a month or you leave it for a quarter or a financial year and the bank's out 20, 30 grand and you go digging back for the month or the week or the day that it happened, by the time you bring it up with uh, the receptionist, that's like, you know, <laughs> I gone. don't know, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Don't remember what I did last so week. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's some practices that you can do without integrated accounting and clearly having very good end of day processes is critical. Printing out the day sheet, circling the totals with the totals of the various collected or printouts from the merchant terminal, etc. That's sort of fundamental. I think things like uh, separating petty cash from cash takings is fundamental. We see this all the time. Banks don't reconcile because, funnily enough, people just grab the cash takings and put it in the tin and they go and buy the milk or the cheese or the tomatoes or whatever it is. You know, um, so having that fundamentally separated and accounted for differently, I think, um, is really important. And, you know, let's face it, most shops now accept, uh, you know, tap and go debit cards. Just, just have a card, you know, just have mm. a card that your staff can use with a low limit. So... I mean, these things really help with bank reconciliation and, uh, you know, with the advent of technology across banking, across accounting, you know, these things are fairly straightforward and easy to get on top of. Yeah. Um, as accountant, we can't emphasize uh, a reconciliation anymore because we actually, we literally have a client, actually, I think it was half a year ago, which we took over from an accountant halfway through in a year. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, uh, we were actually at that time we were doing their December quarter best 
and uh, and we found that because as part of our procedure, we know that the clients not integrate their uh, practice software to the accounting software, and the reconciliation between the two software is actually a manual process. So basically, uh, the, the practice manager will print out the uh, uh, a daily report, and they actually do a manual journal to their uh, desktop accounting software. So as soon as we see that, we actually it triggers us to actually to double check. So actually, we went back two quarters and found that there's actually a discrepancy of twenty four thousand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so big discrepancy. Yeah, twenty four thousand dollars, and and it's uh, it's actually to be honest, uh, it's a very expensive mistake to fix, and some and lucky in this circumstance we actually found it, uh, but we spent about five hours to actually wow. go through every single transaction to find what's going on. But sometimes if you imagine if it's a whole financial year, it, it would take much more than that. So it's very, very critical to get your bank. Always check what's received, it's what's actually you report in your uh, MPS system. Yeah. And to make this real, I'll give you one example from our experience. Um, we remember coming across a client that had uh, on their banking slip for the day, they'd taken what they thought was $2,100 cash to the bank. Anyway, the bank slip, the bank didn't reconcile. There was you know, 2100 that was said was received in the PMS, but only $2,000 deposited in the bank account. And so that banking slip was dug around for in the practice and on the banking slip, there was $2,100 crossed out and someone had written $2,000 and on the banking slip and of course in those situations you think the worst you know maybe someone's trousered the the hundred dollars um but what this had been able to identify and after asking around the practice what had happened was it was a counterfeit one hundred dollar note that the bank didn't accept so it gives you a kind of an idea of what's available out there and what the kind of things you can detect immediately and get on top of and try and understand so that's a, a real life story yeah, and I think um, training and teaching, coaching the staff as well about processes and, and make it a standard process for everyone in the practice. So you may have these systems running behind the scenes, um, but you still need, everyone needs to be reconciling the same way, matching up the same mm. accounts, putting the slips in the same place in the practice and having that, that procedure protocol in place because you know if someone goes on holidays or if someone isn't there when the reconciliation happens, the next day they come in and it's not there. Um, there is a human error element, so having these systems behind the scenes looking at what's happening in the practice is really important and that's why uh, within our virtual practice management systems we make sure that procedure protocols everyone in the practice is aware of A, what's happening behind the scenes, what systems are behind the scenes and how not doing these little things in the practice every day the same way impacts the practice. I'll also add that, uh, you know, Integrating payment solutions really reduces bank reconciliation yeah. error. So if you're a yeah. GP practice and you're not using an integrated solution like Tyro, I would consider that immediately. Mm. If you've shied away from it because of cost previously, I think you'll find that their costs are coming down to match yeah. a lot of what the banks are offering. Integrated merchant terminals just save so many mistakes. I can't recommend it enough. Um, also, we're seeing the advent of increasingly integrated workers' compensation payments. Uh, through the likes of Lantern Pay, which is quite exciting. So I think, you know, really ensuring that you're using the latest integrated payments technologies is a big help as well. Yeah. Um, training, just uh, touching on that, because I get this question a lot um, 
through through a lot of practices. So how do I train my staff and do you train the staff in the systems that you're going to, to put in? So when I put a strategic plan in place and we have a list of priorities of where we're going to hit first, um, first question is always, who's going to do the teaching and training and am I just going to be left to work it out myself? So can you tell me a bit more about how integrate you integrate into practice and then what teaching and training is put in place so that all everyone's aware of what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. As part of our onboarding process, we have a, a training regimen and uh, that yep. goes for three months. Right. So we ensure that the practice manager and the bookkeeper accountant, if they're involved, and the receptionist understand the receiving protocol that leads to a bank reconciliation outcome. They also understand how the doctor distribution automation works and how that changes the way the profit and loss will look to, to both internally and externally to the advisors. So, I mean, there are some changes, there are some adjustments. It is a different way of working. You know, instead of just all of the deposits that come into the account getting sweeped into a giant clearing pool and the doctors being distributed out of that, we're talking about a completely different thing where the receipts out of the PMS are presented to reconcile with the bank deposits. And once that is reconciled, then it's distributed. So you know that what you're distributing to the doctors as a percentage of receipts is actually received. So it's quite a different way of thinking. So education is you know, fundamental to our onboarding process. Yeah. And uh, to give you an example of how this you know, plays out in real life, we often put together a cheat sheet for reception which can be laminated and just stuck on the, you know, the front desk, you know, behind the desk that says, if you receive a work cover like this, like say a Transport Accident Commission or you receive a, you know, eye care in New South Wales, here is a remittance advice, typically a remittance advice screenshot. Here's the number which you need to put into the, the reference field in the PMS such that when we take it out and bring it into the accounting system, it reconciles uniquely with the soft descriptor reference on that bank settlement. So, you know, there are some simple practices that are part of that training, which, you know, we can really embed in that sort of daily workflow of the of the staff. Yeah, great. Um, how secure is my practice? How do I know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <There you> go. <laughs> Well, there, there, look, there, there's a number of ways. There's a lot of people with questions like that in there. There is. <laughs> and um, as I've sort of been touching on, there's a lot of things to sort of look at. And, and the biggest type of, um, I suppose, question that we get around that is, you know, what do we need to look for? What are the different attacks that are sort of coming through? Um, there, there's multiple different, and I touched on some earlier, around phishing attacks. Um, there's water holing, there's whaling, there's... Um, brute force attacks. Even that's going there's, over my head. So. <laughs> so many different things sort of going on at the moment. Um, but the, the biggest one, and, and what we're sort of seeing, is obviously around um, stealing of credentials. Um, that, that seems to be the sort of the biggest one because through, and we've all sort of seen that the emails that come through where they're a phishing email. So. You know, you've probably seen the fake zero emails that sort of come through yeah, on yeah. here's your invoice and yeah, they're scams. Um, they're, they're not anything to do with the practice but what we need to do is make sure that users are aware of what to look for. And that, that's the biggest thing that we sort of find, and, and it's touching again on the education. I was going to say teaching mm -hmm. and training is a big, a big thing mm -hmm. that we sort of provide, and, and part of you know, the solutions that we sort of provide to, to our clients is security awareness training. 
So what to look for within emails that are sort of coming through, what the email looks for. Um, we have different um, training modules that are little short five minute videos that people can sort of go through and, and do self training on what to look for within the email. In the in the in the signature, what's different, and in the in the sort of text field, what do we need to look for, so that when they're actually going through, they're more aware. Okay, that doesn't look right. I'm not going to click it, rather than just going in and clicking, which is normally what people do. Um, and that's you know the the biggest threat within any business practice globally is human error. Um, people just going through and clicking on something. Once they've clicked on something that information is then captured and then goes into what's called the dark web and is normally those credentials are for sale on the dark web. Um, and once they're in there, they're in there. There's nothing you can do to get them out. People then start using that, especially around healthcare um, being one of the most targeted verticals that there is because of the sensitive information that is available around you know, people's personal information. So making sure that you know, the users who are part of that practice understand what to look for, know that's a scam, okay, we don't go there, don't click into that, is part of the biggest you know, threat that we need to sort of control um, and make sure that the, the users have some sort of idea. Um, as I said, the, the dark web, the, the amount of credentials that are for sale on the dark web of passwords, usernames, full links is unbelievable um, and I've got something for the end of the call which I'll sort of share um, if people are interested we can sort of do a dark web scan for the practice to, to see if those credentials have been so just that, so if I was to say looking at um, a client of mine and say okay let, let's just do an assessment of how secure you are is that an easy assessment to do so could is it is there a way we could do that so if they were looking at doing an IT integration piece and they wanted to make sure that hey before I, I jump on board with anything how secure am I yeah, look, definitely, and that, that's something, it's a service that we, we provide there um, because you know, part of our, um, yeah, I suppose, the biggest thing that we see with any practice that are wanting to move to cloud or wanting to move systems and wanting to sort of, you know, embark on the, the next sort of journey of that they're sort of going to go is making sure that their credentials haven't been stolen. Um, there's no point going to all this if you're using the same password, you're using the same systems and you've got the same patterns that go on and then you move to the cloud and then they've got access to all your financials because you know, Sally is using the same password as a, same, as a social media and everything else as well as the finance package. So you know, making sure, doing the scans, seeing what credentials have been stolen, if they have, making everyone aware, go and change your passwords, implement the password management portal. Um, talking to them around you know, security awareness is obviously the big one as we sort of discussed, but having a, a bit of a, I suppose, security analysis throughout the whole system. Mm. Um, the router, you know, are ports open that shouldn't be open? What, you know, can people breach us through systems that we've got? Um, so really identifying everything that's within so that you, you know that you're safe moving forward. Mm. Um, this is a good lead-on question, but it's to do with the, do you, before putting IT integration in, do you do the checks or do I need to do it myself? So I'm assuming with yourself, before Surgical Partners, what's your advice to your clients? Do, do you speak about the IT integration part with the security part? And also, David, with your clients, is that something that is brought up regularly? What's... 
What's your view on cybersecurity and what does your client base uh, work with? Okay, uh, my, what I my feeling is uh, generally uh, about five years ago where um, at that time the cloud sort of accounting software only really start its journey and in Australia and that's where I got asked a question a lot actually our business actually start our first business is actually zero conversion actually convert client from a desktop software to a cloud-based software and I got asked questions a lot about whether my financial data is safe in the cloud now because I'm not an IT expert I can't talking about in terms of more on the technical side but just simply from a, a normal business person or normal business owner point of view this is actually my thought uh, for myself, my, my own business as well. So basically, when we're talking about cyber security or your, your data security in the cloud, there are basically two kinds of risks. One is, I think it's, I call it physical risk, where is if you save a data in a, in a server or on your computer, what's the risk that your house actually or your business premise is being broken into? and and your computer or your server being broken or the data being stealed from that uh, computer. While if we, I save my data in the cloud, my financial data in the cloud, and uh, basically because the software pro provider like Zero, they are uh, listed companies, they got all the resources and they got actually got 24-hour armed security guard for their server. So from that perspective, I will actually just simply from a business owner point of view, I actually think, okay, and your data in the cloud is actually safer than if you save data on your computer. That's one thing. Another thing will be the cyber attack and things like that. Pretty much, I think nowadays, as long as you can get onto internet, you can't actually avoid the risk of being attacked. Mm. But again, at the end of the day, it's again, what do, as a small business owner, what do you think what sort of resources and what sort of um, um, backup you have if you are under a cyber attack? While if I simply outsource this kind of service to a listed uh, a company, which is purely, um, well, it's an IT company and they got all the uh, IT experts and, and protection experts working around pretty much 24-7 to protect their data which is definitely your data as well. So again, compare in terms of the cyber risk, I would again say, okay, the data is actually safer than in, in the cloud than if you save it on your desktop computer. So that's my, yeah, that's my opinion. And that's what I generally explain to my clients if they ask this kind of question, yeah. Uh, from an integration standpoint, I mean, often, it is the IT support services provider who will challenge us, like ask us, you know, what data are you getting? How is it, you know, uh, being collected? How is it being uh, distributed? So obviously, uh, we're under the, the scope. Um, I think we get a good feel on the way in as part of installing the integration as to the levels of security that uh, practices have. Um, I mean, it's often good practice, for example, when we're entering the database password that someone enters it rather than tells us what it is I and mean, that's generally a good sign <laughs> it's not a good sign when for example best practice uh, the name of the database is bps raw data and often we see the password is 
the same thing, you know, uh, which is quite frightening. Easy because... to remember though. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this is literally people's entire worlds. And so, um, look, we get a good sort of feel for, you know, and, and if we thought there was an issue there, then in the appropriate circumstances, we would raise it. But um, generally speaking, uh, we are put through uh, the ringer, so to speak, and we you know, um, good IT support services providers will ask us the right kind of questions. And uh, we've been put through security reviews uh, with the largest organizations in the market, largest healthcare listed companies, multi-billion dollar listed companies who have put us through major security reviews and risk assessments. So, um, you know, while we can always improve and monitor, uh, that's that's a daily focus for us as, you know, we're in the game. So we, uh, we have to provide that level of assurance. Um, but yeah, for the practices themselves, um, you know, again, we, we can learn a bit on the way in and help where we can, but generally speaking, uh, so far what we've encountered is, is, is pretty solid. Um, we mentioned Tyro. Um, has anyone heard of PIN payments and what do you know about PIN payments? <laughs> wonder if this person works for PIN payments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Um, um, I mean, I've heard great things about it myself. Yes. Um, but what I mean, you're in the industry and you work with Tyro quite a bit. So it's Tyro pin payments. I've heard fantastic things. I know that it is up and coming and it's yes. coming through to the market in the healthcare space. It's still relatively new, as far as I'm aware. What's your thoughts? Oh, look, I think any kind of um, you know digital payments provider that's integrated with ledgers, you know, um, like Zero has a very strong relationship with Stripe historically, which is doing some pretty mm -hmm. amazing things, like self-reconciling bank statement lines, and yeah. you know we're seeing uh, more and more integrated payment solutions on the accounting side, like PIN payments, come to market, and I think you know competition in that space and innovation in that space is fantastic. From a medical practice uh, perspective. The most important thing uh, from a payments point of view is what you're receiving from your patients and their funders. And those receipts need to be integrated to the practice management system. So I'm not aware of how far PIN payments in particular have gone down that road. Mm. Um, I can't say that we've ever seen them in the market, but I, you know, my advice to them is if they wanted to get into healthcare, integrate into the PMS. It is all about integration. Innovation yeah. is everything. And, you know, we're seeing more and more payment solutions come to compete with the likes of Tyro and Highcaps. We're seeing, yeah. you know, ANZ HealthPay with their uh, work with Automed Systems. We're seeing um, CBA uh, partner with White Coat to come to market with card not present payments. Uh, the evolution of Highcaps into Highcaps Go and MediPass and uh, their increasing range of integrations is fantastic. Um, and uh, I mentioned Lantern Pay before and their integrations around um, NDIS. Um, uh, and the other one was Transport Accident Commission, working with eye care as well as I understand. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think payments in health is all about PMS integration. And if you're considering, considering any payment solution in the market, make sure they integrate to your PMS. And if they don't, look for one that does. That'd be my, my thoughts on it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so there has been a question about contracting uh, of doctors and I know that the system there does the doctor's pays. Um, mm. Trends, emerging trends. Oh, David might have some thoughts about that. Um. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've seen you know all different types of um, doctor's contracts and what's happening with that arrangement. Yeah. But um, and and also I think we, 
I'd, I'd love to add into that conversation too, um, making them aware of what they're billing and what benefit that has for the practice. Yeah, so I think the more transparent you can be with the doctors around uh, their billing and helping them to to earn more within the appropriate constraints of um, you know uh, Medicare billing rules, etc., can only you know improve their practice and uh, improve the business owners' practice as well. I think some of the key trends that we're seeing, besides increased transparency to the doctors, I think that um, without going into the trends in numbers, we have a good insight into that as well. But obviously, we're very careful with um, talking about that, but. In terms of uh, contracting structures, uh, we're seeing this increasing advent, particularly amongst the corporates of dynamic contracting, this concept of dynamic contracting, which is essentially different percentages for different procedures. We're seeing a lot of that. Um, in dentistry, uh, we're seeing a lot of threshold contracting. So if uh, you know a certain number of items or volume of dollars is done over a period, then uh, you know, you go up into a new threshold where it's a higher percentage. Uh, we're starting to see more and more differential percentages on weekends. Mm. Uh, seeing a lot of that and after hours. So, and also specials too, like, you know, um, Christmas, New Year, you know, pay you 80%, you know, we're seeing a bit of that. Um, I mean, already I'm going, it's a management nightmare. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> My head is spinning just hearing it. Yeah. But I, I, this, this is all integrated, correct? Oh, that's right. So, I mean, you know, the, the surgical partner solution has been absolutely designed to handle all of those scenarios. And okay. I think it's one of the reasons <laughs> we're having... to calm down because yeah. that was getting <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's one benefit of uh, collecting atomic level information. So we mm -hmm. can split differential percentages of different, different item codes based on different timestamps, etc. So maximum flexibility in that regard. And I think you touched on a really good point before, Amy, which is surfacing that. So the more you can surface mm. it, that's how you drive behaviour. If your intent is to get your contracting practitioners to do something different, then a static invoice once a month probably isn't going to do too much. It, if you make it dynamic, if you present it to them in, a, in an app or something like that, that you know has clear visualisation of you know what they're doing differently and how they're benefiting how the practice is benefiting then clearly that's going to actually change how people work so i mean what we'd like to do is introduce things like well um you have earned this much more money because you have done telehealth sessions between mm -hmm. your desktop consulting sessions or yeah. you know if you're a dentist you have made this much more money because you have started taking afterpay yeah. For example. And I think it's, it's all about the data as well. So, you know, at the dental, we'll touch on that first, is proposed versus accepted. So mm. having a look at, okay, so you've made this much more, your percentage proposed to accepted rate is higher, yes. you're making this much more money. Um, also looking at the MBS item numbers and, and what they're actually billing across and seeing how they're maximising on their MBS item numbers, offering that overall, overall comprehensive care for patients. Being able to pull that up and, and see that almost live is invaluable because you see you're showing them that look your level of bulk billing to privately build patients during a day um, your privately bills higher this is how it affects mm. you and your billings mm. in the practice mm. and I think it's also about um, taking ownership and and then you, you build that almost openness in the practice when you when they're receiving an invoice every month um, with an amount on it they just go oh yeah you know, that's, mm. that's what it is. Um, rather than showing them, you know, well, this is how many care plans that you've offered your, your patients, mm. how many care plan reviews, health assessments and so forth you've done within that month and this is how it's affected your mm. bottom line. 
Um, not saying that it's all about money driven, but it, it is offering that overall care and seeing how just the slightest movements in fee for patient and so forth can not only affect um, the bottom line of you and you as a contractor, but also the business as yes. well. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. profitability there as yeah, well. Exactly. Um, Dave, you're doing a lot of business intelligence yeah. at the moment, aren't you? Uh, no, actually, when, when we touch on this topic, actually, the things come into my mind more than. Uh, <laughs> ATO perspective, where right. and also in the state revenue uh, office perspective, where actually from a, a medical practice owner's point of view, they actually got a risk of their contra- independent contractor doctors being treated as deemed mm. employees. Mm. So this is where and this is a big area where ATO and state revenue office actually uh, emphasize on and actually there was I think it was two months ago there was a court case going through it's it's actually New South Wales um, state revenue office targeting uh, uh, I think it was uh, I uh, yeah, yeah correct correct and and basically the concept behind it is you have to make sure in terms of how you uh, how your buildings go and how you keep the record of your building in your accounts to make sure that you well, you pretty much lower the risk of being picked up because generally what happens is uh, if you pay your, generally there are two methods of payment, mm. uh, what we see, one's called net method and another's growth method. So basically, um, the net method is uh, the clinic will collect all the doctor's billing on behalf of the doctor and they, they will deduct whatever the service charge is, yeah. which is re- really in the, in the revenue to the, to the uh, practice, yeah. and then they pay the net amount to, uh, to their doctor contractors. Another method is where we see more, uh, it's more sort of common in uh, corporate world where they actually direct all the payments to, to the doctor and then they charge doctor a service fee. So in terms of the risk of being picked up by state revenue office for, pay, for payroll tax, actually in the, in the gross method, it's a bit safer, but we do know that in practice, a lot of small business, a lot of uh, uh, small practices, it's actually not practical, uh, not practical for them to actually direct all the payments to, the, to their doctors. Yeah. It will be a nightmare for their independent, independent contract doctors. But generally, what we will advise is, when you take on, collect your money, you need to put it into uh, somehow we call a trust account. So yeah. when when you yeah. ban, when you do the reconciliation, this is what uh, I'm sure yeah, surgical planner does is, you actually when the money come in because it's actually doctor's billing, you need to bank it in in a separate account and you record it as a liability in your balance sheet. And when you actually pay your doctor, you, then you deduct your whatever service charge, yep. and then that's where when you move that amount into your revenue and and the, and the balance you pay to your doctor. That way, it's clear that doctor is actually an independent contractor to you mm. instead of an employee. So it's a liability until it's yeah. paid out. Correct. Okay. Correct. So you're correct. only your fee generating is only really your correct. service correct. fee, which is. Ends up being that way anyway, but it's the way in which you're structuring it. Correct, exactly. And I would actually suggest you keep a separate bank account for yeah. your building, and then, and then from this this bank account, you pay your self service fee and pay your uh, doctors there. Putting a separate liability account in the balance sheet that's accruing daily is enough separation without the separate bank account. 
well, in this case, in this particular payroll tax case, they actually they find it's a bit hard to establish that it's uh, because they actually keep just one bank account. So everything is mis mixed together. But you know, in the chart of accounts is enough. So if you're categorizing each of the individual doctor's billings in an independent account that's accruing yeah. daily and it's clearly separated, mm -hmm. do you think that's enough? Generally, generally it should be enough, but yeah. it's this particular case, I can go back and find out. Oh, the, the actual case optometry name. case. Yeah. yeah. And that's where the judge actually lets the judge comment on that thing, saying, okay, in terms of that actual big, everything is mixed in one bank account, even, even though all your accounting records, it's kept separate. Yeah. On the liability so accounts for the Medicare too, because it comes in big lump sums. Isn't that enough yes. to show hmm. that big lump sum and the and the tire reconciliation is enough? But you're saying no, it needs to be it, in this case. It should be my understanding yeah. of this case. It's interesting. Um, yeah. uh, I actually would recommend you keep a separate account, which is, well, shouldn't it's, be it's too cleaner. hard to do. I mean, it's, it's cleaner. All in all, yes. it's cleaner. Yes. But um, you know, it's. It's an interesting case. Yeah. We also see separate uh, zero files often. They keep a separate unit trust or services trust oh, yeah, kind of yeah, zero yeah, file yeah, completely yeah, yeah, separate yeah, yeah. from the, <laughs> the practice trust. I mean, mm -hmm. again, I'm no accountant, but that would uh, seem particularly with integration, um, the value of integration and controlling all of these, uh, these flows of money, I would say separate accounts is probably over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Separate zero files, for example. Yeah. If I'm hacked, who do I contact? <laughs> uh, well, Simple. <laughs> there's a number of uh, number of things to sort of do. So if you are hacked, um, and what what would it? I mean, for all these out there that has not been hacked in, and and hacked, it, I guess it is broad, but I guess we know the gist of what you're asking. But it, what what would you first see if something was say hacked or broken into or at risk? Yeah, there's a number of hacks if you like so as I said earlier um, credentials being stolen a lot of the time people wouldn't even know okay. so it's if you like have been caught on a phishing attack or something's going on you're not even going to know right. that your credentials have been stolen and are available on the dark web for somebody else to buy and then collate you know, a username and a password and something else from the domain name and then reorganize and, and use those details to then try and do a brute force attack or try and do another attack which is going to be more sinister um, such as a, a ransomware if you have been a ransomware you know all your files are locked down and everything's done in the case that that does happen unplug your machine directly from the network so straight that away first thing to do first thing you do unplug it from the network right, so that it one. doesn't spread anywhere else or, or do anything else um, the, the next thing to sort of do is we recommend all our, um, all our clients to have a um, breach notification sort of report or a, yeah, something in place that is a procedure that you can sort of follow. So an emergency response plan if you like, that you have it all set out and planned out on what you need to do and who you need to call, who you need to advise, do you need to contact the um, breach notification and let them know of the breach that's gone on. Um, next point to sort of go through is if you haven't got cyber insurance, get some cyber insurance. <laughs> it's, a, it's a common thing that so many... Who can go through for that? <laughs> uh, you can go through your standard um, business insurance uh, person. They normally have tick the box of an insurance, um, cyber insurance policy that you can tack okay. on to your um, other insurances. Um, but having that cover is something that just needs to happen. We had a a um, an incident with a client a couple of months back 
that you know, they had an old router uh, on their premises. We said, look, you need to change it, it's old, you need to get rid of it. Didn't take the advice um, and they were hacked. Um, brute force attack, they didn't compromise any of the details of the um, usernames and passwords, but they had access within the network. They had brute forced, tried to delete the server, which they were able to do, and they fully just deleted everything on the server, which was all the systems, all the software, all their accounting package, everything, because they didn't have everything in the cloud, they have it just on a server. That wiped out their whole business. Um, and I was lucky we had a backup in place where the backup doesn't take any of the ransomware, doesn't take anything, so we were able to spin them up in the cloud um, on a server, rebuild their server, get everything back up and going again and get them functioning, but it happens. So it is one of those things that you need to be aware of. You know, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. So it's a matter of making sure you have got procedures in place to make sure that in the event that it does when it does, that you can recover from it. So making sure you've got the backups is you know, the most important thing to do. Having cyber insurance, because the cost of rectifying a breach, lawyer costs, public liability costs, public relations costs, forensic uh, investigation of going through your machines and doing everything. The cost, even if it's just a small breach or a, a file or server being deleted, they're offline for two or three days while we rebuild that server and get it up and going, which is loss of revenue, loss of business. They can't function if the system software is not there. Um, so the cost of recovery and getting everything up and going escalates. Um, so making sure that you have cyber insurance there, contact the cyber insurance company, let them know what's going on, and then the procedures, they'll let you know, okay, you're right to get these people in and do it, and all the costs of recovering, getting everything up and going is normally covered under that insurance. Wow. That <laughs> does happen. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, traditional accounting, what benefits of coming away from them and going virtual? I guess that's, yeah, that's uh, we've been talking about a lot about efficiency and communication things. Now I can I can do 